0: let's not do traditional corporate structures, but let's pick the best of both and invent some new things in between. And I think that's where most DAOs today are. They're trying to find that new innovative kind of in-between model that that, that no one ever really did before, but that probably is the best solution to have a successful DAO.
1: Welcome to Web3 on Fire, where we take you on an inspiring journey through the ever-evolving world of Web3. In each episode, our host, Rob, delves into the heart of the latest innovations in decentralized technology, including account abstraction, smart accounts, aka smart contract wallets, and the future of work in the Web3 ecosystem. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today on the pod, we have Adam Miller from MyDAO. MyDAO is a decentralized organization that helps other organizations find their uh, legal entity and uh, help them incorporate them like the Marshall Islands. Uh, super interesting topic and I have some personal history with the Marshalls. I uh, love to get into that a little bit. Uh, but
0: first, welcome
1: to the pod, Adam.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here. And that sounds really exciting because most people do not have personal experience with the Marshall Islands. So it's always exciting to hear. Nice. Before we get into the Marshall and, and into my doubt, love to uh, learn a bit more about yourself,
1: your background, maybe in tech or in building, um, and what kind of ended up getting you pilled into crypto, a particular project or a particular community, etc. So,
0: love to learn more. Sure. Yeah. So I can't go into too much detail, except to say that in 2012 I heard about the Silk Road, and I thought, wow, there's?" And I read about the dark web. And I thought, wait a second, there's a whole internet that I don't know about and I've never seen before. And I had to find it. So I did all the research to find the dark web, to find the Silk Road. And I saw, oh, there's this thing called Bitcoin that you need to have if you want to use the Silk Road. And uh, that's how I found Bitcoin. So I got lucky. I ended up uh, getting into investing and trading Bitcoin from the earliest days. uh, And i Luckily, made some money off of it. I convinced some friends to buy some Bitcoin and family back in 2013. And all that said, it wasn't until more like three or four years ago when I saw what was happening with Ethereum, bought my first NFT, played around with my crypto wallet. That's when I really saw the crypto light in terms of this being a technology that would absolutely change everything about how we live and how we work, etc. Um, and that's when I really got crypto pilled. And from that moment on, I was just obsessed and had to go deeper and deeper. Eventually I had to shift my career into crypto and it's just all down, down, not downhill, but it's all just flown from there. Nice, yeah, similar story. I was
1: in Bitcoin in ETH and got a Genesis wallet, sending some Bitcoins to a random address and hoping they would send me an email with a private key back. So (laughs) we've come a long ways from then, but also similarly, I got back into the space DeFi summer but more with NFTs and then the DAO side and that really got me excited again I think similarly to web 2.0 with new technologies coming out and new primitives like Ajax that allowed uh, you know really progressive mm. web app or web apps to exist to begin with um that were snappy and fat that made all the difference but now it feels mm. like web 3 has brought that innovation and excitement and we're like in the early 90s in terms of mm-hmm. html css that's like the NFT era right now. But from that, in terms of how did you approach you know, your path down into crypto? You said specifically at a point you went full time. Um, what were some of the first projects that kind of pulled you in and got you interested um, in the last three, four years?
0: Yeah. So a few years ago when I still had my TradFi job, I was working at a big investment management firm doing emerging technology research and experimentation. And we did look at crypto, we looked at blockchain, we watched ICOs, we you know, did some experiments with uh, with blockchain technology. Um, but when I decided I wanted to get into it professionally, the first thing I did was study everything about crypto. I mean, Everything like writing code, launching some smart contracts, to uh, looking at the landscape of media companies and podcasts and everything in between, DeFi, NFTs, everything that was happening in crypto. I wanted to try to understand all of it. So that i could decide what was the thing that was most exciting to me and after all that research it, it was clear to me that DAOs were that for my own personal interests what was most exciting and where i thought the most potential was also because it felt like we were very early in dows if you go back just two years there were not that many DAOs out there and all of the platforms for launching DAOs were just being developed And just being launched for the first time. And we were really figuring out how to do DAOs in the first place. So so that got me really excited that there was this technology that I think is going to change how we humans organize everything in society, everything on earth, everything in the universe. It's all going to be organized using some kind of blockchain substrate. And whether we call them DAOs in the future or not, that's what we're building today in in the world of DAOs and the DAO industry. And I just had to attach myself to that. So I left my TradFi job, I started a DAO consulting company, and the plan was to do consulting for DAOs long enough to figure out what technology I should build for them. Uh, But early on in the consulting, I was consulting for a friend of mine's DAO, and we were offered, this was obviously bull market, because we were offered a million dollar grant from the Moonbeam ecosystem just to build on their blockchain. And one of the things they told us was, okay, we can't give you the million dollars until you have a legal entity. So we thought, okay, that's interesting. And we looked around and we knew that usually in the United States, if you start a company, usually you create a C corporation in Delaware. It's just what you do. Um, But for a DAO, we said, this is a DAO. We don't want to have a board of directors. And this is a DAO. We don't want to have paper records where we keep minutes of meetings. Like No DAO is going to do that. It doesn't make sense. And, And so to our surprise, there was not a single legal entity in the world, no corporation, no foundation, no LLC, no trust that allowed a DAO to truly be a DAO. And so that was the genesis that eventually led us to start MyDAO and work with the Marshall Islands on what we believe is the best and most innovative DAO legal framework in the world today. Super cool story, just in terms it feels like you
1: went fully in, jumped straight down the rabbit hole and went as deep as you could. And because you embodied everything that was crypto, you, you truly understand from the inside out what was needed, what was necessary. And I think, you know, the days that we're talking about Aragon and those types of DAO building tools, MakerDAO, some of the first uh, and earliest, what have you seen in terms of the difference and the shift between those early DAOs that are still absolutely going and some of the, um, maybe it's almost that we had large DAOs that operated large funds that had to do maybe more with the DeFi side of things. Um, And then as we've come into building and creating new dApps and tools, feels like there's been a splintering and a trillion new DAOs have been created for more specific purposes. Um, maybe you can talk to that in, in particular.
0: Yeah, sure. So I do think there's maybe a couple overarching trends. And one of them is exactly what you're describing, that the first hundred DAOs were pretty much DeFi DAOs. Maybe a few investment DAOs mixed in there because it's such good use case. If you, if you have a protocol to govern, who's going to govern it? Usually that's going to be the community. And That's a DAO, right? Unless you really are trying to use some different kind of structure or philosophy, that's a DAO. And same thing with investment DAO. A bunch of people pooling money together into a smart contract and then voting on where it goes. That's clearly just a DAO. And it's easy to build the software that either just governs a protocol, or I shouldn't say easy, but it's pretty straightforward to think, what does it mean for a group of people to govern like a few configuration options of a protocol or or hold the upgrade key to a protocol? And what does it mean for 100 investors to pull their money and then vote on where the money goes, whether it's grants or investments? What we're seeing, though, today is a lot of DAOs are being started for things that aren't even related to crypto, right? Like a meetup group is a DAO or a Burning Man a group that does an activity every year or a group that's trying to save the rainforest, which one of our clients is trying to do. There's all kinds of use cases for DAOs, both within crypto, any kind of DAP, any kind of Web3 project is likely to either be governed by a DAO or their their roadmap to be governed by a DAO and even outside of crypto. I think the other, if I had to pick the other biggest trend that I see over time is the first, let's say, thousand DAOs, so going up to two or three years ago were really reacting against the history of TradFi, Web2, corporate America, whatever you want to call it, by doing the complete opposite and throwing out, you could say, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? They said, we're not going to do anything that traditional corporations used to do. We're going to be a full, like, direct democracy. It's either going to be one token, one vote, and one per- or one person, one vote. We're going to vote on everything. There's going to be no central structure whatsoever. Very little hierarchy, very little defined process. There's not going to be any HR. There's not going to be any accounting, not going to be any managers. All that, all that stuff that we used to do, we're going to do none of it. And I think what a lot of DAOs found and anyone who's been in DAOs for the last few years would tell you that most of the time that doesn't work either. Um, And then what you really need to think about is somewhere in between, or at least just picking and choosing the best of both worlds. So like, for example, I mentioned HR, there's this major kind of leading DAO called Bankless DAO. I'm sure you're familiar with, most people in crypto probably are. They have an ombuds team of people who try to do some of the interpersonal relations and conflict resolution that HR would normally do just without the top-down mandate. It's just more of a uh, another team within the DAO. Um, but even a lot of DAOs are finding that in some ways, structure is more important if you wanna be decentralized than if you're centralized. If you're centralized, just say, okay, CEO's in charge, everything flows from there. And you can probably figure the rest out. I mean, you don't wanna ignore all, you know, everything they teach in business school and stuff like that, but like you could probably figure the rest out. Whereas if it's a DAO and you wanna say, okay, there's gonna be 10 different teams, no, but no one's in charge of all the teams and no one's in charge of each team. It's just all, you know, it's all decentralized. Maybe we approve the budget you know, once a year or, or once a quarter, or once a month. Well, then you actually probably want to have more structure and more process in place to make sure that those 10 teams are able to actually cover everything that needs to get done, to interact with each other the right way, to operate successfully as an individual team. What if one of those teams is the marketing team, call them the marketing pod or sub DAO or whatever, and they can't figure out how to do what they need to do. Well, the whole DAO is going to fail because the whole DAO needs marketing. Right. And so you probably want to have some kind of structure put in place, even if it's put in place by everyone at the start to make sure that each of these sub DAOs will be successful or maybe that there's a mechanism to change the leadership or if there's no leadership to switch out that sub DAO. So there's so much nuance and so much detail to it. But I think that's the biggest thing is that today people are saying, okay, let's not do, except in some cases where it makes sense, let's not just do direct democracy for everything and forget the rest. And let's not do traditional corporate structures, but let's pick the best of both and invent some new things in between. And I think that's where most DAOs today are. They're trying to find that new, innovative, kind of in-between model that, that, that no one ever really did before, but that probably is the best solution to have a successful DAO. It's really interesting, that the whole
1: established DAO versus those that are starting to solve problems that there isn't a model for. You mentioned new DAOs, facing things that have nothing to do with crypto per se. And I think that's the really interesting thing is onboarding a ton of new people into Web3 that don't necessarily know all the inside baseball, especially the DAO kind of revolution. And I think you, you made that point as basically at that point, they wanted to throw all of the ideas that had come before because all of the problems almost had emerged from those behaviors or the structures in particular. So I think we've done a really good job at recapturing some of the important organizational structures, process procedures that have come before us. We have a lot of business history to to lean on Ooh. rather than thinking of it as we have to burn all the books, burn all of the history behind and create something fresh and new each time. I do think that it's interesting as there are some more experimental DAOs where their uh, purpose, let's say, like nouns, is to proliferate the meme, and so that's a very permissionless, decentralized call call to arms, which is interesting, um, where a ton of different people can participate in a ton of different ways. But when you have something that's specific and more established, and that needs to get things done iteratively, and maybe ship or deliver, structure, Ooh. organization, a process uh, really matter. The other interesting thing is we're seeing a ton of uh, younger generation come into Web3 as natives. And so I think they're also missing the historical context that we've dealt with for the last 25, 30 years of technology in the history of the internet as a whole. So they being internet natives and dipping into Web3, it's a very different space that then maybe we had to grow through and go through from web 1.0 to 2.0 to now web three. It's really cool just to see the maturity happen, but also people still being super experimental and having a lot of fun with the community um, as we grow more and more of them.
0: And I think it's similar to what happened with DeFi, right? I've heard a lot of people, and I haven't myself built DeFi protocols, but I hear a lot of people say that DeFi was speed running the history of finance in two or three years because they literally had to make all of the same mistakes over again, but at least like they made the mistake and then realized that the same mistake had been made in like 1995 in, in like finance. And so now let's learn from that while we fix the mistake. Imagine um, I think with DAOs, I was just going to say, imagine it's a lot more iterative and quick
1: rather than waiting for yes. re- regulation or legislation to plug the hole in the types of things that maybe malicious entities or people would do that it led to those types of, you know, catastrophes happening.
0: Yeah, good point. And maybe like plugging the whole, instead of like coming up with a whole new like business model, it's just changing a line of code. And so certainly we can adjust. And I think same with DAOs, right? Rather than, you know, having to like ta- reorganize a whole corporate structure that's all happening manually between people just like sitting around a building and like emailing and talking to each other, it's like change the line of code and see what happens. And it's not quite that simple because you still need to, the peop, there's still people involved and they people still need to process. learn and adapt and change. But, but still, we should be able to do it a lot faster. And there's really cool organizations like Talent DAO is one example. And DAO I think, is another one where they're trying to draw from the best of the world of academic business knowledge, it, they like the history of the study of business and, and use that history to inform how we're doing things with DAOs. And so you read one article by like Lisa Walken, who, who I love, and she's been on my podcast, Just Dow It, and, and just does all kinds of great work, written papers about how we can apply these like traditional business lessons to the world of DAOs. And it's incredibly useful.
1: Nice. That's so cool that we have these thought leaders that come from an experience level that's at such, such a high level of experience and then can come bring that into Web3 and really help gain perspective and context and educate and inform others. Uh, so now that we've talked about DAO and DAO history, why don't we talk a bit about organizational history and the concept of the first LC coming out of Wyoming and a bunch of other states following suit? I think a similar a similar thing has happened inside of the Dow legislation space with Wyoming, Tennessee, Utah more recently, and a few others. Why don't we talk about the history of that and how you became involved? and why the Marshall Islands in particular were interesting to you or how they came on your radar as a point of... Yeah, exactly how did you come to Marshall Island as, as a place where you uh, execute this?
0: Yeah, sure. So a lot of countries in the world have talked about creating legislation that makes them DAO-friendly because I think they see that this is a really important trend and a big opportunity. But there are only two countries in the world that have passed Dow legislation. One of them is the United States, where, as as many people probably know, corporate laws are on a state-by-state basis. So the United States does not pass any corporate law. There's Yeah, there's regulations that apply, of course, but uh, that law comes from Delaware, from Wyoming, from Tennessee, et cetera. So several states, including Wyoming, have passed DAO laws, in most cases, creating DAO LLCs, which is like a fork of the LLC is a good way to understand it. And even Utah recently, I think, passed a DAO law that's not a DAO LLC. It's just a new corporate entity for DAOs. The only other country in the world that has passed DAO legislation is the Marshall Islands, um, which is a sovereign nation in the South Pacific that is a very close US ally and a very close part of the Western world, um, but is a sovereign nation, so is not under US jurisdiction. What's cool about the Marshall Islands is they've actually been doing the same thing for a long time in the shipping industry. So there are something like 50 public companies traded on NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange that are Marshall Islands companies, and they're all shipping companies. And there are something like 70,000 ship, like companies all over the world that are Marshall Islands registered companies. So they have a long history of being a strong corporate jurisdiction. And part of the way they did that is by actually modeling their laws off of Delaware's laws. So Delaware is the most common place for businesses to register in the United States, partly because they have such good corporate laws. And the Marshall Islands said, "Okay, let's just basically copy and make improvements where necessary Delaware's laws. And, And so people like going to the Marshall Islands as their corporate home. So when we approached some senators and business leaders in the Marshall Islands a few years ago and said, hey, how would you like to do something similar to what you're doing in the shipping industry? But here's a whole new industry that, by the way, DAOs are a little bit like ships. Right? They live nowhere and everywhere all at once, right? So I think there was a natural evolution to say, let's write some legislation in the Marshall Islands that makes it the best jurisdiction in the world for DAOs to call home just like it's one of the best jurisdictions in the world for ships and shipping companies to call home. That's really how it all emerged. It's such a cool analogy to
1: international waters, ships, they have jurisdiction right. or they gain jurisdiction for a port, et cetera, move about the world yeah. pretty freely. Very cool. How did the Marshall Island end up on your radar? Was it because you're researching which jurisdictions and country and various states had legislation in place or did you have a personal connection or did you just pop on on the map?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. My co-founder and I had worked on a crypto project in the Marshall Islands back in 2018, I want to say, called the Sov cryptocurrency, which never took off because the world wasn't ready for it. And the World Bank and the IMF and the US Treasury said, no, you can't do it. And, And it's kind of amazing because at the time, the Marshall Islands was going to the IMF and the World Bank and said, well, you got to see this crypto thing. And they wanted to hear nothing about it. Nothing. Now, Marshall Islands goes to these big meetings. All they can talk about is crypto and digital assets and all this stuff. So unfortunately, Marshall Islands was a little too far ahead of its time. But through that project, we got to know senators. We got to know the leaders in the Marshall Islands, stayed in touch. And always had conversations about what what is something else that we can try to do, leveraging the Marshall Islands sovereignty and experience uh, to help drive forward innovation in Web3 and crypto. And so when this problem came up with the DAO I was consulting for, where they needed a legal entity and couldn't find a good one, it was just a natural thing to bring up with especially Senator uh, David Paul in the Marshall Islands, who's been the one who really drives crypto innovation there said, Hey, is there something we can do here? And we looked at what Wyoming was doing because Wyoming was the first state in the United States to do a Dow law. And we did something similar as a starting point. We've now helped pass two further laws that really take um, the Dow uh, legal framework to the next level compared to a place like Wyoming. Um, But we looked at what they were doing there, did something similar, and that's how it really all got started. That's cool.
1: So yeah, it was mentioning that I had the personal connection with the Marshalls yeah. as well. So my uncle um, when he was younger, he was a big surfer and then he started a fish and coral business and essentially the Marshalls and um so he was in Fiji and in the Marshalls and had made contacts uh, basically with the president, with the mayor of Majuro and just went out and visited was able to essentially say, "Hey, I would love to take some of what you have naturally here and import it in and pay you all and have a relationship going forward and they literally said what would you like you went out into the ocean brought back a couple samples and they said go for it and from that point on they started a business importing a coral rock and fish into the united states and at a point my mom and my brother actually moved uh, to the Marshalls to majuro and lived there for a number of years and then moved to hawaii and then back to the states eventually Uh, but i've always had and in fact my sixth grade report was about the Marshall Islands, about wow. the history of Bikini, Bikini Island, the atoll structures, all of what has happened there and what is current. So
0: really cool that, that just happened to be a point of context here. That's great. Every now and then you run into an American or even someone from anywhere in the world who's very familiar with the Marshall Islands because they do have a rich history, including being colonized by the Germans, the Japanese, and the Americans at different points in history. And so the people there really are a very, of mixed backgrounds, and you have people there from all over the world. Um, it's like this interesting connection point in the middle of the South Pacific. That, that, that's very cool. I love to hear that. Yeah. So cool. let's go ahead and just uh, jump into Maidao
1: now so that we can understand. Um, so at this point, you had been consulting, helping some other DAOs realize that the Marshalls was going to be a wonderful place to either uh, found these companies, but also influence and help since they were ahead of the curve as a whole. So how did the formation of the company itself come together? Were you just kicking around this idea because of the consulting or was there a flash in the pan moment?
0: Yeah, so the way that the Marshall Islands does its shipping registry, which is where all those other companies are registered, is ever since the, I'll say, 1970s, when the Marshall Islands became an independent nation from the United States, they had a partnership with one company, a private company, that to perform the duties of the shipping registry, and and so it's an exclusive deal for that one company. And so what that did was it created this strong incentive for this company to market the Marshall Islands all over the world and develop the business because they knew they'd be able to capture some of the value that was coming back to the Marshall Islands. And the thought was, once we helped write and pass the first law, which was back in November of 2021, we started on a path to do the same thing. So we created MyDAO, the company. It's actually MyDAO Directory Services, a Marshall Islands Corporation, and we have a a U.S. corporation that's partnered with it. And MyDAO Directory Services signed the same type of public-private partnership with the government of the Marshall Islands as this other company did in the shipping industry, which is to say MyDAO is the exclusive partner of the government in building out the DAO registry business. And so similar to how it, created, it kind of aligned incentives for the shipping registry, it aligned our incentives so that we've gone out and raised some money. And now we're going around the world promoting the Marshall Islands, knowing that we get a cut of every, you know, every registration. And we're also helping DAOs. I think it's, especially today with DAOs, it's a little more complicated than shipping because they're so new. So we're also helping DAO you know, as their consultant through the process of how do you think about whether you need a legal entity, how do you think about setting up a legal entity, all the documents that are related to that process, the compliance, et cetera. So so we signed that agreement, I think, in mid-2022, and then we launched the company. And so ever since mid-2022, we've been um, trying to market and grow MyDAO, the company-slash-partnership that can actually create and maintain these entities for DAOs. Awesome. The Part that you
1: just mentioned too, about education and helping. I love the guides that you had and the docs that you had they're really in depth and help to understand because for one, forming a business, of course, if one has done it before, it's pretty straightforward. but when you're on the outset, it's just such a crazy you're not sure exactly which piece you need to do, what's required, and so having a landscape and clear not only um, instructions, but discussions and your blog posts and the podcast and going and talking about this all over is really awesome. Also, you said you were able to take essentially like the playbook from the shipping industry and the shipping registry. That's such a cool parallel again, because the ship and the Dow parallels, what was the exception in terms of bringing crypto into this was there any resistance from obviously you had some allies with the senator but as a whole were there people that didn't understand it or was it widely accepted because of the success of the shipping industry
0: yeah so there there is hesitance there is risk involved with doing something new if only because it's an unknown and even recently the imf this like large global highly respected maybe not in crypto highly respected by everyone else, uh, a global organization came out and said, we don't think the Marshall Islands should be doing this. They should be letting a more established, developed country do DAO registry. And I was like, I mean, I'm not Marshallese, but I was offended by that on their behalf because it's okay, here's this cool new technology that has such a huge financial opportunity associated with it. And we're saying, let the United States do it. Are you, and by the way, in the same sentence, in the same article, they said the other biggest risk to the Marshall Islands, aside from registering DAOs, is climate change because the oceans could rise and literally put the Marshall Islands underwater. And it's actually if there's one thing that could help the Marshall Islands survive climate change, it's having another revenue stream that allows them to actually reclaim land, build new seawalls. Create islands, whatever they have to do to survive climate change. So it's very hypocritical, I think, of someone like the IMF to come out and say something like that. At the same time, you know, I can see where the fear comes from. It's like, oh, well, blockchain, the same community that Sam Bankman Fried came out of and FTX came out of, and now like the Marshall Islands wants to do something. So, like, I can see where that fear comes from. But one of the most interesting things I always try to communicate to regulators like the IMF, to the regulators in the Marshall well, sorry, IMF's not a regulator, they act like it. but Folks like even the, like I talked to some folks from the IRS recently because they're just curious about DAOs and like, how do we make sure that DAOs are not helping people commit financial crimes and tax crimes and all this stuff? And the amazing thing is, okay, let's compare a DAO to a traditional corporation. A traditional corporation goes to a registry, they get approved, right? there's very little compliance involved, and then the registry has no idea what that company does going forward, right? That company could go open five bank accounts. The registry doesn't know. The home country doesn't. The banks don't tell anyone that they open bank yeah, accounts. It's all self-reporting. And the DAO could go. Company goes and does whatever they want with those bank accounts. And you're trusting the banks to prevent financial crimes. So sure, that's something. Now, on the other, uh, on the other side of things, let's say a DAO registers with the government. The DAO says, "Here's our treasury address. Here's our governance contract. Here's how we. Here's where you. Can, here's our Discord server. Right." Now, the registry, if it wants to, it's not necessarily their job, but any government regulator can actually watch every single member of the DAO, every single one of their transactions, even non-financial transactions on the blockchain, their identities can watch their, can watch every token that flows in and out of the DAO's treasury, every smart contract interaction. Suddenly, you can actually surveil every single thing a company does. At least while it's doing stuff on the blockchain, which is the part that otherwise is scaring people. So it turns out that DAOs are like infinitely more transparent than traditional companies, and yet they're scaring people more. So so I think actually, now look, there are still ways that someone could leverage a DAO legal entity to commit a crime. You can can literally commit a crime anywhere you want, right? You can use anything that's especially popular and involves money. Someone can come out and say, oh, come buy my thing. Right? Buy, buy this cool thing because it's going to make you money. And someone might do it. And now you're a criminal. You can do that with a DAO. You could do it with a stock. You can do it with you know, just a private company. You could do it on a street corner. The fact is that there will be financial and other crimes committed involving DAOs. Especially take a really popular DAO, especially in the next bull market. Let's say there's a million like noun-ish DAOs, right? You mentioned nouns earlier, which I think is a brilliant model for DAOs. Everyone should check out Noun Builder. Nouns.build, I think, is is a domain. Really cool way to launch DAOs. Very popular. Come the next bull market, these things are going to be so popular. People are going to be just like dying to ape into one of these NFTs that that is a governance right in one of these DAOs. And so tons of people are going to come along and build a fake Noun Builder and say, here's the latest Nounish DAO click here to sign a transaction and buy this like NFT for $1,000, whatever it is, and you're either signing over the keys to your wallet, or you're just throwing $1,000 of ETH into a vacuum, giving it to a criminal, and they're going to disappear. Will those people first register a DAO in the Marshall Islands? Maybe they will, because that actually gives them credibility. And we have no way to know. Well, there are some ways we can try to make sure that someone who's committed a crime before does not create a DAO. But if it's their first crime, There's no way to know they're a criminal, and so they can do it. DAOs will be used to commit crime, but the reality is they're actually a lot more transparent than traditional companies. And so if anything, compliance should be easier to do for DAOs than for traditional
1: companies. I think it goes back to the point that you made earlier when we were first discussing Silk Road, and people have this narrative still stuck in their head that this is anonymous money and tornado cash, everybody's using it to obscure all these transactions, and as you're mentioning, in reality, DAOs are much more transparent than traditional companies, LLCs, et cetera, organizations, because there's a treasury address, there's a governance address, maybe there's easy to read snapshot, whatever the uh, governance model that they've they brought in. So even normies would be able to understand what's happening if they were trying to track or audit or just understand too. So I think that piece is still stuck in in everyone's head regarding this is anonymous money. I think clearly as we've evolved more tools and with verifiable credentials and DIDs and things like that, as we go forward, it'll be much easier to understand. And also with Gitcoin passport type of Sybil resistance and one person, one address or one person, one vote reality, all these things were (laughs) finally started to come to a head and it's either we building tools that are scams or building tools that prevent scams. It's like, there's only two sides of crypto.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And I think, look, it, we can make it a little simpler than even thinking about DAOs. Let's say you're going to either work with me the TradFi way or the Web3 way. The TradFi way would be you get to scan my ID and make sure I am who I say I am. And you have, you have no visibility into all my money, right? You just get to know who I am make sure I never committed a crime before or whatever it is you want to do. The, and So that's a certain level of visibility, right? The alternative is you don't get to know my real name and my real address and my driver's license number or passport number, but you do get to see all of my financial activity on chain, right? And so those are just different models. I think it, the fact is it is a trade-off. The whole world is very used to the idea that just tell me who you are, prove that you are who you say you are. And I'll do business with you because at least that way I can come sue you later. And I know that maybe that'll keep you acting responsibly. But the alternative model is, you know, give me your blockchain address and I can see that you've been transacting on chain for a year. You haven't committed any crimes before with that address, at least. If you start interacting with what looks like criminal activity, I'll know about it. But I don't get to know your real name. I get, don't get to know your real address. So it's, I think the reality is it's a trade-off, but the more experience we get with the Web3 model... The better we'll get at using that as the model and just doing our best to prevent crimes within that model
1: yeah i think the more transparency we have the better the sets of tools we can create as well as to help obscure things that shouldn't necessarily be public but also allowing more trans the thing with the operation of, of an organization is that the smart contracts and these tools really do help to reduce costs to make things much more fluid For us to, for instance, instead of trusting an authority with permission to understand someone's ID, we can do it permissionless and without Mm -hmm. an authority that we need to trust because it's the blockchain in terms of we trust that the ledger is secure and immutable, then we can trust what is on it, uh, which is interesting, Mm -hmm. decentralized as well. And doesn't, the other thing too is jurisdictionally, when you're, Dealing with a MLC or a specific organization, organizational structure in a particular jurisdiction, you have to deal with all the laws versus crypto is so worldwide, Web3 and communities and all the projects. And just having enough choices for people to make that make the best sense for what they're trying to accomplish, whether that's Estonian citizenship or e-citizenship or founding the company Ambire Wallet as our entity um, out of Estonia, the teams in Bulgaria. And that's helped them in terms of access to banking, you stuff, but also for them to extend their employment to others that can get e-citizenship. Things like that That just are really interesting. And obviously, all we want to see is more and more of this. Uh, this mm-hmm. Before I had heard about my DAO, I didn't realize that Marshall Islands had created that a piece of legislation that allowed for DAOs to operate. Maybe we can go into that just a little bit deeper in terms of, sure. you had mentioned that it's very similar to the Wyoming Dow LLC structure, but you said it had evolved and grown. Maybe just get into a little bit of those details to, to how, it's, how it's evolved.
0: Sure. So if I think back to the Wyoming Dow LLC law, it took a great step in the right direction, which was to say that you can have a smart contract governing your organization, right? Instead of having managers, you can have a smart contract. And that's very cool. And it's a huge step in the right direction. What we wanted to do, though, was really address several issues that I think are really important to any DAO that truly wants to be decentralized. And so here are the things that we addressed, right? We made it so that DAOs do not have to have any managers if they don't want to. So that's a part that's similar to Wyoming. No manager, no board, no trustees, No one takes on special power or special liability for the organization, truly decentralized in that regard. Beyond that, though, what we did is we said, okay, also, the DAO does not have to track the real names and physical addresses of its members, and neither is the government. Virtually everyone in the DAO can be truly anonymous, right? Just by holding a token that represents a membership right, you're a member of that company, of that LLC, right? So that's really powerful and really important to DAOs. Uh, The next thing was, not requiring any paper record keeping. So there is one document that you have to have that says how the blockchain is involved, but then you point to your governance smart contract, you point to your token, you mention a few other things that are really important just to lay out the rest of the world to know about your DAO, and then everything else can take place on chain. Every single record, every agreement, every signature of members, uh, everything can be on chain and there's no need for separate minute or, or record keeping. Um another thing we thought was really important to address was securities issues. So we specifically go into the issue of that a governance token that does not rep- represent economic rights is not a security, right? Very clear about that. And same thing with a governance token that's a governance token of a nonprofit DAO, which is very similar. So if you're a nonprofit DAO LC, Then your governance token, like there's no way, like for example, it's sitting on the board of a nonprofit. If it's really acting as a nonprofit, that the SEC would come and say, well, that board seat is a security, right? It just doesn't make sense because you're not allowed to like really directly benefit from being on the board of a nonprofit. Same thing with holding a governance token in a nonprofit LLC, that's not a security, right? Unless you do certain other actions that turn it into a security. So those are are probably the key issues that we wanted to address, right? It's not having a board, it's members being able to be anonymous, it's no record keeping aside from what's on the blockchain, and, and then clarity around securities issues. The cool thing about that too, is that it really opens it up. As you had mentioned, essentially
1: to do business in the United States, you can have a partner that's LC that then partners with the Marshall Islands organization. And that same way, I'd imagine, would be if anybody was working uh, worldwide individually or as organizations that they could partner with that Marshall Islands, Dow entity, um, and then be able to work in various jurisdictions, depending on the types of legal requirements as a citizen of the United States doing business with, I would have to report different things versus those that are international. So it's, that's a wonderful way. To balance the requirements of the U.S. laws and people doing business, a DAO that's operating out of the Marshall Islands, so that, that's super cool. I like, yeah. that a lot
0: and and it's, that's not new to Web three, right? And traditional companies have been using multiple legal entity structures for dozens of years, if not more. And a good example is the venture capital industry. Almost every, I think the stat was like seventy five percent of venture capital firms have a local entity and a Cayman Islands entity. And and there's good reasons for that. But kind of to your point, in a lot of cases, the U.S. investors want to interact with the U.S. entity. The foreign investors do not want to interact with the U.S. entity. So they'll interact with the Cayman entity, but it still acts like one business. And I will say one of the nice things about our Marshall Islands LLC is it removes the need for multiple entities. In a lot of cases where people did use multiple entities before, so they might have used like a Cayman Foundation and a BVI Foundation. And in a lot of those cases, you really don't need to do that anymore. You can just use a Marshall Islands LLC, which by the way, will cost you less than either one of those two other entities. I was going to um, ask about that specifically
1: too. So why yeah. not the Caymans? Why not Panama? Or why not some of these other jurisdictions? And also just a note, look at FBX's various pass-through entities and organization, their structure, yeah. that map, that was amazing to see and yeah. just mind-blowing. But that's obviously how totally. a type of corporation at
0: work around these things. And look, I think 150 legal entities is probably too many. But like 10 to 15, see that sometimes in, in like tradi- in the traditional corporate world. And maybe there's reasons why you should, sometimes you need 150, I don't know. But that's sketchy. If someone comes to me and says, we need our 149th legal entity, it's gotta be in the Marshall Islands. I might, it's not our business necessarily, but I might have some questions. <laughs> Um, but if it's like, we just need like a Delaware C Corp and a Marshall Islands LLC, that's a really common structure that we see. So yep. I, lo- I lost track of the question. Oh,
1: no worries. I think actually that would be fun just to learn more about what are the requirements in terms are, is there KYC on the, those that are within the United States or how does that relationship between um, the Marshall Islands and the United States work?
0: Yeah, so even though the Marshall Islands has a very close relationship with the United States, the legal entities are not connected to the United States really whatsoever um, from a legal perspective. These are just like having a legal entity in the Cayman Islands or somewhere else. It's, It's fully kind of domiciled there. It's governed by that jurisdiction's laws and regulations until you do something like do something in the United States, right? And there's some laws that will apply to you regardless of where your legal entity is. Uh, Generally, the only KYC requirements for the Marshall Islands DAO L.C. is beneficial owners. So that's anyone who owns 25% or more of the governance rights of the DAO which is usually no one. Um, now at founding, that can be one or two people often. Um, and there is a minimum of one person because we feel like it's important just to be able to know there's someone we can reach out to if there's a problem. Um, but that person doesn't even take on extra liability from a legal perspective. It's just we, we need to know we're dealing with at least one real non-criminal person. But, but that's it. And actually, I remember a question before about what's different between the different. Marshall Islands, Cayman Islands, BVI. So I think there's really two things in particular I'd say that I'd highlight. One is that all of those entities are foundations or corporate or corporations or trusts. They all have boards. Often you have to hire an independent director in that local country. And that person actually has to sign off on everything your DAO does. And they've agreed they will sign off on it unless it is illegal, which I get that there's, we should all agree that we don't want to do anything illegal, but does a DAO really want to think that, okay, we're going to vote on something on chain and then someone gets to sign off on whether that thing happens or not? Like That's just not the idea behind DAOs. Like, DAOs should have the right to do something, decide themselves if it's legal or not. And then if it's illegal, someone can come after them later. But you don't want a person sitting there deciding whether or not to sign your on-chain action into an official action of the organization. So whether it's an independent director or you have your own board of, let's say there's five people from your founding team and the independent director, which by the way, the independent director costs like $25,000 a year and it varies, but that's the most recent one I talked to. It costs $25,000 a year. And even having your founders on the board is not consistent with how most DAOs want to operate. Now, interestingly, when you actually talk to a founding team early on, they might actually want to be in charge for a while. And I get that. And that's okay. And, and there's progressive decentralization. But in the long run, you don't want to have a board of five people in charge of Uniswap that's like pretending that there's a DAO. What happened with, uh, I think it was Arbitrum recently where they said, okay, now we're a DAO. Everyone gets to vote on everything. Here's our first proposal is to get $180 million to the foundation or something. And everyone voted no because it's like, wait, what? This is out of nowhere. And then the foundation, well, actually, you don't really get to decide, right? We already decided. Now, later they backtracked on that, but that just goes to show you that the foundation's in charge, not the DAO. And so that, that's like the biggest difference, I would say, between Cayman, BVI, virtually every structure in the world versus a Marshall Islands DAO LLC or a Wyoming DAO LLC. But again, there's other issues with the Wyoming DAO LLC, not least that it's in the United States and most global crypto projects don't want to be based in the United States for kind of obvious reasons. And the other biggest thing is cost, which I already touched on to some degree with the independent director. In most of these jurisdictions, you have to hire an independent director and a local law firm to actually set up the entity for you. In the case of MyDAO in the Marshall Islands, first of all, you don't have to hire any law firm. We do recommend it. We're not a law firm. I'm not a lawyer. Um, we're more like LegalZoom, right? Anyone can go to LegalZoom in the United States, set up a corporate entity, and never talk to a lawyer. Um, if you can't afford a lawyer, you should get one. But that's what makes LegalZoom and the Marshall Islands so much more cost-effective than a place like the Cayman Islands, where you have to hire a local law firm and a local independent director and pay them both every year. And it just it adds up. Thanks,
1: Very specifically for answering the question that I was going to follow up because I remembered it as you were talking (laughs) as well. So that worked out perfectly. What would you say is a good starting point for a DAO to get involved with MyDAO? Is it something where people have a project, they've proven the concept, and they're building a thing, and they're looking at that point to set up their legal structure? At what point do you see MyDAO getting involved, and where is it important for projects to get involved with Mike?
0: Yeah, I think most people who are starting a traditional startup know that one of the first things you do is you create your legal entity, right? You just, you form your corporation, you form your LLC. It's almost, I don't think most people even ask, should I do it or not? Or why, why should, where sh-? they just go form a corporation in Delaware or an LLC in their local state or whatever it is. And I think it's the same thing in crypto. I guess what's a little more complicated about it is, I'm not gonna say it's more complicated actually, it's just a question of when can you afford it, right? So a traditional startup that's just creating a legal entity on zoom, you might be paying like 50 bucks, like a Delaware C Corp at first. Creating a legal entity for a DAO usually is gonna be more expensive and more complicated. And so really it's as soon as you can afford it. So the reality is even if you've been building and offering a product for six months, but you don't have any money, you're literally, just like the founding team doesn't have money, the DAO hasn't raised any money. What are you going to do? That's just you're taking on risk. But if you don't have any money, what's the risk? You're risking very little. Versus a DAO that either has any founders that have money, right? In which case, that person should say, I'll put up the five grand right? or whatever it's going to cost to create the legal entity and do it right. Because that person doesn't want to take the risk of unlimited liability participating with the DAO. Or any DAO that has a treasury, right, because they've sold NFTs, they've sold tokens, they have a VC, whatever it is, as soon as you can afford it, it's really something you should do. I'd recommend people reach out to us or a lawyer or anyone as soon as possible to start the conversation. There are really good reasons why you might want to have your legal entity before you launch a token. Because the act of launching the token can create liability. And so do you want to take on that liability as an individual or a team of individuals? Or do you want your company taking on that liability of doing the token launch? So it, it really is kind of like as soon as you can or as soon as possible. But just with the acknowledgement that sometimes people just don't have the money and like the, you can't really fault people for that either.
1: Well, this is a perfect segue then where can people find out more about MyDAO? Where can they learn more about some of the guides and uh, informational uh, pieces that you have out there? And where can they find you uh, to get more information to to reach out to learn more?
0: Great, thank you. So MyDAO is on Twitter at MyDAODS, M-I-D-A-O-D-S for directory services or just MyDAO.org. On the website, you can find our guide to DAO incorporation where I really try to be balanced in terms of helping people think about Like, how do you choose a legal entity? When should you do it? Why should you do it or not? And then on the last page, it's here's why we think the Marshall Islands is the best option. Um, But I think it's really helpful for anyone. And you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller. If you're on Farcaster, I'm at The Thriller. And my podcast is called Just Dow It. It's a podcast for people starting DAOs. Uh, Every week we go into uh, recent DAO news and we talk to someone who has a lot of experience starting or leading DAOs about their advice for you. So definitely check out the podcast anywhere that you can find podcasts.
1: Awesome, thanks. That was perfect. All the information we needed in particular. I have one last question for you. And it is, if you were to pick one person to come on this podcast, who would you nominate or say would be a good person uh, for uh, to reach out to?
0: Oh, that's a good one. What would you say is like your ideal guest, the qualities of your ideal guest.
1: So we're really focusing on builders, DAP builders, DAOs, community, um, and leaning into that space in particular. So anybody that's
0: building okay. this space, et cetera, yeah. There's a guy named Bill. He's really active in the Farcaster ecosystem. And he recently, he's part of the Purple DAO. Um, he built something called AlphaCaster, which is a Farcaster tool. He just launched something, something called Abura which is, it's like Twitter spaces, but for Farcaster. So for anyone who doesn't know, Farcaster is like Web3 Social. It's one of the two most successful, actually decentralized social networks. And it's seeing a lot of success. Um, And this new Abura thing is really cool because it's just like Twitter spaces, but decentralized. So I think Bill would be a really good person to talk to.
1: Awesome. That's perfect. I completely stole this from Rehash Podcast because they started asking their guests who they would like to yeah. see on the next one. So I am just I just had to steal that. It was such a great awesome. question. <laughs> yeah.
0: You could also go after Dan Romero, who's the founder of Farcaster. He's also really good. Awesome.
1: No, uh, thanks for those recommendations.
0: Well, Adam, yep. thank
1: you so much for coming on the pod. This was a great, great conversation. Really love all the insight. And we'll see you around the crypto Twitter space and on Farcaster.
0: Sounds good. Thank you, Robbie. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely.